In the early days of the pandemic, a popular strategy for discussing how to come out of stringent lockdowns was known as the hammer and the dance. Simply put, it's a public health strategy that allows for looser health restrictions when cases decrease and to bring them back when cases increase. In San Diego County, it's hammer time. The region has entered the purple tier, the most restrictive reopening tier. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Paul Sisson, you've been covering the COVID-19 pandemic since the beginning, but uh, there's a lot of rules and restrictions that we've been through. Can you walk us through some of the trends that we've been seeing since we have been in this tiered system since late August? All the way going back to late August. Let's see here. We've, uh, you know, we've seen a gradual increase uh, in the number of cases uh, detected every day, um, and that has really kind of accelerated in the last week or two. Um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty clear that uh, holidays seem to really play quite a role in seeing a surge or a spike or whatever you want to call it. And that, that seems to be what's underway at the moment, that we're seeing case uh, new case totals every day that are over 400. We weren't seeing that a few weeks ago. It was in the 300 range, maybe spiking up to 400, but generally, you know, 100 or more cases lower per day than we're seeing now. Um, hospitalization rates are also trending upwards, uh, but still not consuming a massive amount of our uh, local capacity, still under 10%. So... We've seen a gradual increase in the transmission. It, it seems like that's linked to people just gathering more in their own private homes, um, taking some of these uh, masking and distancing requirements that have been in place for so long now less seriously. Hmm. And if you look back at kind of the trend of COVID-19 in the county, we had a big spike in the South Bay in kind of July, late summer. This time, are we seeing it kind of everywhere, or is there any geographic kind of rules to this? You know, it seems like it's been a little more evenly spread than it was the first time we, we saw a spike. Uh, you know, we saw really kind of a raging fire down in the South Bay where we had, uh, you know, massive uh, high case rates that were much, much higher than in the rest of the county. Um, last time I looked, we were still seeing some elevated case rates in the South Bay, but but it seems like it's spread out a little more and, and it's it's more more diffuse, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the story of what's going on nationwide in which there's no real geographic center. It's just kind of everywhere, be it small towns, urban areas, suburbs. It's across the country. That seems to be the case. Uh, and less so here than in other states, we should say, um, but still uh, growing here. Uh, just growing a little later than maybe we've seen in some of the Midwest states. Mm -hmm. And uh, from doing your reporting over the past several months, how much do you attribute this spike surge, whatever you want to call it, to COVID fatigue? Or do you think it's just, you know, we're getting to the end of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, other holidays are coming, so people are letting loose? Like, what do you think is the best answer to this rise? You know, my gut. You know, I'm no epidemiologist. I think we should say I don't. I don't have uh, all the information that the epidemiologists at the county health department have. So, so I'm flying more blind than they are uh, in terms of understanding how all this fits together. But you know, my gut tells me from just talking to people and seeing my email list uh, every morning in terms of who's emailing me about what and who's calling and who's you know interested in what. It just seems like, you know, it's it feels more like fatigue. Uh, just people just 
just deciding I'm going to get together with my friends this weekend. And it's going to be weird if we all sit in my living room and wear masks. So we're just going to go for it. Um, you know, we're just starting to see cold weather. Uh, we're just starting to see some rain. So I don't know that like what we're seeing at the moment is necessarily weather driven. I think in the next month or so that will probably bleed into the numbers. And the whole idea of moving back is here is the idea that if we reduce the opportunity for people to gather inside, spread should theoretically decrease. And uh, on that point, uh, can you kind of give a recap of the restrictions that will go into place, I believe, Saturday? Right. The county tells us that these uh, falling down to the purple tier, the, the businesses and other organizations will have to comply with the purple tier uh, regula- regulations uh, and requirements uh, as of 12.01 a.m. on Saturday, so uh, the first minute of Saturday. Uh, so they have through Friday to figure out how to comply. Uh, restaurants are currently allowed to use 25% of their indoor capacity. That will drop to zero. Uh, exact same deal for houses of worship throughout the county and movie theaters. Uh, retail establishments in malls or otherwise will see their indoor operating capacity cut in half. So currently they're allowed to use half of their indoor capacity. That would drop down to 25% Uh, indoor facilities at museums and zoos are currently able to, uh, I believe, be uh, 25% open indoors. And I believe that drops down to zero as well, just operating outdoors again. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's the the basic gist of it. There are other little permutations of it that, uh, that are out there and you can go to the to the state's website and look up specific activities uh, one by one. one. One really big, big change compared to last time we went through this uh, is uh, personal care services. You know, you'll remember when, when they first shut everything down in the spring, um, you couldn't get your hair cut, you couldn't get your nails done, uh, you know, and that really chafed a lot of folks. Um, you know, a lot of the, uh, the other um, like tattoo parlors, for example, you couldn't get a tattoo. Um, all of those personal care services have been put into the purple tier so they're able to remain open even in purple, and they have quite um, quite good indoor policies. They're able to use 100% of their square footage as long as they have six feet of separation between customers, and they're following all of the masking protocols. So, uh, so that's a big change this time compared to last time. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's like we're not returning to the way things were kind of in the spring, but kind of in between the the different kinds of openings and reopenings that California has been through over this, you know, majority of a year at this point. Yeah, I think it's important to think back and remember, gosh, you know, all the beaches were closed last time. You know, you couldn't even go to a park. Uh, (laughs) So it's a lot better than it was uh, the first time this all happened, uh, but it's still not anywhere near what people are looking for uh, so far into this pandemic. Uh, So, you know, I think it's safe to say that uh, this vaccine can't get here soon enough. Mm Mm-hmm. And at this point, uh, what do we know about enforcement? Because there's been lots of business owners that have vocally said, I'm just going to stay open. They can arrest me. I don't care. How are the health agencies going to get people to actually comply? Yeah, you know, I I spent a little time yesterday emailing back and forth with the California Department of Public Health. Uh, You know, they indicate that they have these um, statewide enforcement teams that work with local jurisdictions to, uh, you know, bring people into compliance when they're not complying and they say they're going to continue doing that. That system has really been quite opaque. Uh, It's not super clear how many citations the state effort or the county effort or the local uh, municipality efforts have actually issued so far. 
Um, I, I think it's probably fair to say that there have been a lot of instances that have kind of gone under the radar uh, and uh, just continued to operate um, for quite a while. Uh, we saw that with the adult entertainment industry here in San Diego, where there were a couple of clubs that were operating for quite a while before suddenly uh, there was a clamp down. And, and now there's a lawsuit that, uh, that pushes back against their ability to uh, to enforce those cease and desist orders that the public health uh, department uses to get people to uh, stop doing what they're doing. And so there's kind of a gray area right now in terms of the enforceability of some of these health orders that the county has been uh, putting out kind of sparingly here and there. Mm-hmm. And it seems like one of the most obvious kind of means of enforcement would be if there's an outbreak that's tied to a certain business, that's kind of a way to enforce. But I guess that's dependent on people being honest when they're contact traced. So if people don't believe in the system, this enforcement thing could entirely collapse, I imagine. Yeah, you know, um, the, the county has been putting out some new data on where their contact tracing is finding exposures. And, and if you add those numbers up, um, you know, it shows that a quarter or more of people don't appear to be responding to uh, contact trace requests. Uh, we talked to the county a little bit about that, and they said, actually, it's more like 13%. There are there are some in there that we, we actually don't need to get a hold of, like people who were living on military bases and test positive. Well, the military does their own investigation, and they share the results with us, so we don't necessarily need to, them to call us back. Uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're pretty confident that about 13% of people who are being asked to share their personal contacts and participate in the contact tracing process are are not doing so. Uh, so that's a that's a significant number. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that we're in the purple tier, though it'll be a while until we can go back to where we were in the red. Can you walk us through that time frame and what needs to happen for us to advance to that next tier? Yeah, I was chatting with the CDPH about this uh, yesterday as well. And and from what I can tell, uh, you know, there's been some conjecture about is it three weeks, is it two weeks? It seems to be that the CDPH is saying two weeks. What we need to have is two consecutive weeks of numbers that meet the red tier again. So a case rate under seven for 100,000 residents, as well as a uh, positivity rate uh, that I think is under five um, percent. Uh, and so we would need to do that for two weeks in a row and then we could move back up. That's my understanding. Uh, there, there's, there have been some rumors out there that it's actually three weeks, but it doesn't seem to be the case from what I can tell talking to the CDPH. Mm-hmm. And there's also the health equity score. Can you remind us what that is and how that could maybe hamper this uh, you know, march downward? Well, that's a good point. Um, you know, a few weeks, uh, maybe a month or so ago, they, they started calculating a separate positivity rate for the uh, for the areas in the county that, that are considered to be um, most disadvantaged in terms of access to healthy factors that affect healthy living. You know, this is everything from the poverty rate in certain areas to even their the number of grocery stores that they have within a certain distance of where people live. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they are they are calculating this uh, additional positivity rate uh, that we also that also must meet the red tier thresholds in addition to our overall positivity rate for us to climb back up again. Um, recently, it hasn't really been a problem. It's It's been um, in the right uh, parameters um, so far in the last couple of weeks. I'm not quite sure exactly where it is at the moment, but uh, you know, I think um, getting the case rate down again is the main, the main thing in the, at this point. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's like one of the things about this virus is that it takes a while for those cases to be reported. So even if, you know, people were to magically calm down today and not, you know, return to their homes and isolate, we wouldn't see those case numbers going down until about two weeks from now anyway. Yeah, absolutely. There's this uh, look back period lag effect where we're looking back a week. And so what we do today will probably not affect next week's report, but probably the week after that or so. Uh, so you got it doesn't really change the action that's needed. You got to you got to act now if you want to if you want to get results uh, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what we've seen throughout the entire pandemic. You have uh, Dr. Wilma Wooten and uh, Nathan Fletcher saying on a weekly basis, "We have to buckle down because we're too close to the purple tier," and it finally happened. But it's one of those things in which you get used to a bad situation, so you don't act. So I think we're seeing that fatigue play out in real time. Yeah, nobody nobody can say they didn't warn us, right? I mean, they've been uh, hammering on this, and we've been writing stories about it daily for probably at least a month or two. Uh, so <laughs> it's finally here, and it's too bad, but uh, what can we do but deal with it? Yeah, and I have the chart right here now, and right now, the last time that our unadjusted case rate was safe in the red tier was the week of the 22nd of September. So, I mean... This has been a long time coming. It seems like we're finally getting what we deserve based off what the state believes we should do. Yeah, well, you know, there are a lot of different opinions on what we deserve and, you know, what's effective and what's not. And, you know, will this actually, does this tier system actually result in uh, in better outcomes for people's health? I I think the vote's probably still out on that. You know, I don't think it's been going long enough to know for sure, but... uh, certainly does create an impetus to keep your case rates low. Yeah, and when comparing the approach of California to other states, we have been lucky in which our you know per capita case rate hasn't been too extreme. Uh, we haven't had the hospitalization surge that many places in the upper Midwest are seeing or even what we saw in New York in March and April. So it's like we've avoided the worst of it, but you know it's, it's difficult to get people to change their actions if they haven't kind of seen the horror that can happen. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And, you know, you, I kind of wondered about that because we did see a pretty significant surge in the South Bay to start this whole thing out. We did see hospitals getting close to becoming overwhelmed. We did see helicopters transporting people from uh, Imperial uh, County out to our local hospitals here on the coast. So we did kind of get a taste of what, what can happen. Um, but we got it under control pretty well. Uh, our, our hospital uh, network was able to deal with it. And uh, so I guess people just kind of feel like, you know, we can handle it. It's no big deal. And, uh, you know, that's, I guess, a dangerous place to, to live long term. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now that we as a county have finally crossed this Rubicon that we've been teasing to cross for several months, um, what questions uh, do you hope that, you know, get answered in the next couple of weeks as we adjust to this new reality for at least the next, you know, more or less the remainder of the month? thing that a lot of people really, really want to know, and I'm among them, is what is the transmission rate in our local schools? Uh, we've now seen many schools open up. Uh, the majority of school districts have reopened for at least some in-person education. And I think what we really, really want to know, you know, in, in many cases, a single case will pop up in a school and they'll quarantine a whole swath of kids and teachers and, and aides and anybody that's been in contact with that kid that tested positive. And so those folks are sent home and, and asked to quarantine for 14 days. And what I want to know is how many of those kids who are in those quarantine groups are actually coming back positive. 
I'd like to have a real solid 100% accounting of quarantine elicited by schools just to get a sense of what the transmission rate is in our schools compared to the community. Uh, you know, that's that's a really big uh, question for parents uh, in terms of, you know, is it safe to send my kid back to school? Can we get can we get the, you know, and getting kids back in school helps people go back to work. A lot of people are relying on school for childcare. So that is a really big linchpin that I think we want to, I think we're getting to the point where we ought to be able to find out a little more about what's, uh, what's going on with kids who have been quarantined. Certainly, it's a big question that affects many, many San Diegans. Paul Sisson, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Also, San Diego County health officials plan to increase enforcement of COVID-19 rules. The county's top health officer, Dr. Wilma Wooten, sent letters to all city governments and law enforcement agencies asking them to increase enforcement of violations of the public health order. Also, law enforcement will be given masks to distribute to people seen not wearing them. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to include the San Diego Union Tribune in your morning routine, check out our daily flash briefing. Every weekday morning, hear a quick summary of the day's top stories. Just search San Diego Union Tribune wherever you get your podcasts, including smart speakers. Until next time.